Um, tell me a name that comes to your mind when you think about the Lord. Tell me a name that comes to your mind when you think about the Lord. A name that comes to mind because you've experienced God in his presence in your life. Provider. Comforter. What'd you say? Graceful. Healer. Friend. Savior. Peace. Faithful. Healer. Mercy. And you know what happens when you experience God? It's easier and easier and easier to obey Him. See, what makes it difficult a lot of times is we have a hard time obeying God because we don't trust Him. Ever been at that place of not knowing exactly what to do because you don't have confidence that God is who He says He is and that He'll do what He says He'll do? You ever struggled with that because you're fearful? How do you respond to God? I mean, when you face certain circumstances, how do you, how do you specifically respond to God? How do you respond to God when you're facing difficulty in your marriage? How do you respond to God when you're facing difficulty in your finances? When things aren't going well at work and the numbers just aren't adding up? How are you... How do you respond to God when you're facing difficulty uh, in another relationship? How do you respond to God when, when there's a specific need? I mean, do you go out looking for opportunities or do you wait for opportunities to come to you? How do you respond to God when there's opportunities to go to, to children's camp and you, you say, that's just not my thing? Heather, how do you respond to God when he, you feel him tugging at your heart and he's wanting you to do something that's outside of your comfort zone? Do you ever get outside of your comfort zone and say, okay, God, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it? How do you respond to God when it's maybe going to cost you something? How do you respond to God? I mean, it's easy if it's convenient, if it's something that you want to do. But how do you respond to God? Last week, we saw Nehemiah get word that the city had been torn down. It was in ruins. The walls had been broken down. The city gates had been burned. The people that were left there within that city, those that had come back, were just a mess. And if you remember the words in, in chapter 1, there was a few things, a few, few words that were given to talk about Nehemiah and his response. And it said that he wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. He wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. Now, I don't think that Nehemiah at that time was praying just to be praying, but I think Nehemiah at that time was praying and saying, Lord, I don't really know what's going on, but Lord, if you're doing something, I'm making myself available. Do you ever pray that way? I mean, when, when, when you pray, do you ever pray, Lord, I'm, I'm making myself available? Available. 
Let's talk about Nehemiah as we go back into the second chapter today, and let's see what we can learn about Nehemiah's response. And let's just ask ourselves, what is it the lesson that, that we can learn today from Nehemiah that might be impactful in our own specific life? Because this is what I believe. Regardless of where you are, I believe there's a message inside of this book that is specifically here for you. Not your spouse, not your kids, but I believe that God has a specific word that he wants to speak into your heart if you're willing to listen. And what he may speak into your heart may be something totally different than somebody else. But why don't we pick up where we left off last week, and then I'd love to be able to share some stuff with you at the end of our time together. Man, what a great week we've had. Uh, what a great week in the time in the lives of our kids and families. What a great week. Pick up with me, though, with, if you will, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, as we continue on and as we read the words of Nehemiah. And this is what it says. Early in the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So we, we now have him probably, and this is about March or April of, of the springtime of the year. Last week, if you'll remember back, we had left it off where we find that the story began back in November, December. So we're about four, four months out since since word had gotten to Nehemiah about what had taken place back in Nehemiah. And, and here is Nehemiah broken over the destruction, over the word that he had gotten back of what had taken place there in Jerusalem. So here he, here he is having carried the weight, the burden for this past four months, seeking the Lord day in and day out. Asking the Lord, Lord, what, what is it that you want me to do? Lord, is there something that you're speaking to my heart? Is there some way, something that you, some way you're wanting to use me? Lord, I just want you to know that I'm available. So this whole time, this, is, this has taken place, and four months has passed. And I don't know really how you pray, but diff, different ones of us probably play, pray different ways. I mean, how many of you have prayed, and you've already made your mind up when you pray the way that you want things to go? You ever prayed that way? Have you ever told God the way, Lord, this is the way it's going to go because it's all about what I want, not really what you want? You ever prayed that way? I have. I mean, be, be honest. Lord, this is what I want, and so I'm just going to pray, and I want you to do things the way that I want them to be done. I mean, and you bypass, Lord, not my will but yours be done, but Lord, may my will be done, not yours. And then sometimes we, we pray to extend or to sort of give a little bit of a, uh, a, little of a holdout. You know, maybe, maybe somebody comes to you and say, listen, man, there's a specific need. And you go, can, can I just, you act spiritual, can I just really pray about that? You ever done that? How many times do we use that as a cop-out? Because you don't really want to do it. You know what I'm talking about. You've done that before probably. Can I just pray about it? I don't really want to do it, but let me just sort of look spiritual while we're, while we're at this. But Nehemiah didn't jump in and tell God what he wanted to do, but he went to the Lord because he knew that God was large and in charge. And he, he went to the Lord because he said, Lord, what is, it, what is it you want me to hear? What is it you want me to see? And Lord, is there something that you want me to do? And so during this time of prayer, the Lord had spoken to Nehemiah. He'd given him some insight. He'd given him some direction. And so we see Nehemiah 
here approaching the king. He comes to serve the king his wine. It was a normal, everyday process as he comes to serve him. And as he approaches him, there's something that takes place. And look at what he says here in verse 2. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. I mean, if everybody ever asked you before somebody that knew you close, man, is everything okay? I mean, you knew somebody so well enough that, Sharon, are you doing okay? Is everything all right? What's going on? I mean, when you spend time with somebody, you know somebody well enough, I mean, you can usually pick, pick out if something's going wrong. And the king knew Nehemiah well enough to know that, man, something must be up because my brother's just not acting right. And so we ask him, why are you, why are you so sad? But you don't look sick. And then, that, and then that statement that Nehemiah makes, then I was terrified. Now why in the world would Nehemiah be terrified when the king's asking him, man, is there something wrong? Why in the world would Nehemiah follow that up by saying, then I was terrified? You know, the king could have had his life at any moment. And let me, say, let me tell you something about leadership, and let me tell you something about those that are in leadership and, and they don't have the Lord on their side. They're always wondering what's going on in reference to those around them and who's out to get them. And if a king, in reference to somebody being close to them, they were probably always thinking, I wonder who's going to get me next. And so he was probably looking, is, I wonder if the reason that he is so sad and he's not acting the way that he's supposed to be acting, is Nehemiah guilty? Is there something that Nehemiah is plotting behind the scene to take my life? Is there something that I need to be concerned about? So Nehemiah, right off the bat, says, long live the king. In other words, listen, man, I want to declare my allegiance to you. What I'm dealing with doesn't have anything to do with you, king. Me and you are good. We're right. But how can I not be sad, he says in verse 3. For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And he goes on to tell the king, man, listen, the reason I'm so distraught and the reason I'm so distracted and the reason that I'm so sad is, is, man, what's going back? What's going on back in my hometown? I'm a mess because the walls have been torn down and the gates have been burned and the city has been destroyed. And the king didn't say, oh, poor little fella, man, you know, you know pull, your, pull, your, pull your pants up and get your life together and, and get on with things. He didn't say that. But look at how the king responded because of his respect for Nehemiah. In verse 4, he says, well, well man, listen, what can I do to help you? And you know, you, you look at that, and here's the king responding to Nehemiah, and you might think, well, maybe Nehemiah wouldn't have thought that the king would respond to him that way, but I want you to go back and remember what Nehemiah prayed for in chapter 1, verse 11. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. You know, when you pray, do you ever expect God to answer? I mean, when you pray, do you really expect God to answer? If you don't expect God to answer, why even pray? And so here it is, the answer to God's 
Here is the answer to Nehemiah's prayer. And he goes on in verse 4. The king asks, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of the heavens. And here is something that Nehemiah has been, he's been dwelling on for the past several months. He's been thinking about, he's been trying to ask, Lord, Lord, what is it you want me to, to do? And if you go back and you look through the book of Nehemiah, you see well, several times where Nehemiah prays. And I want to say this about prayer. Prayer just reminds us that Nehemiah was focused in the right direction. It, it reminds us that Nehemiah knew exactly where his allegiance was at and that who he trusted. And that he went to the Lord because, he was, a, because he, was, he was under his authority, because he was submitted to the Lord, because he trusted the Lord, and because he was dependent on him for everything. And so here is, here is Nehemiah reminding us again of his dependence on God, that he was large and in charge. And Nehemiah comes back and he says this in verse 5, If it pleases the king... And if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And he goes on to say, the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, well, well, how long are you going to be gone? And when will you return? And after I told him how long I will be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it pleased the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. And I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and the house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was upon me. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. And the king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. And so we see that everything that Nehemiah had asked for, the king granted. But not only just the things that he had asked for, but he also added more. He added support and also protection. And why was it? Was it because of Nehemiah's plan? Was it, was it because of Nehemiah's manipulation? Was it because of his good looks or his abilities? No, it was because God's hand was upon him. God blessed him. That's why. And what happened in Nehemiah's life wasn't anything out of the ordinary of what God can do. See, a lot of times we'll look back and we say, oh, that was then, and God did those things back then. But, you know, Grisella, there's no way that God could do anything out of the ordinary today. There's no way that God could do anything extraordinary today. And then I'm reminded of the words that Paul, that Paul spoke when he said, said to us, Now him, now to him who is able to accomplish immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory. Ephesians chapter 3. Man, listen. Who? God. What? more, immeasurably more than you could ever dream or imagine. Mike, immeasurably more than we could ever dream or imagine. Immeasurably more than whatever Nehemiah could dream or imagine God was pouring out on him. Immeasurably more. For Nehemiah's glory, not for his glory. For Israel's glory, not for Israel's glory. For whose glory? God's glory. 
And he wants to do the same exact thing to Heritage Community Church. He wants to do the same exact thing for his people. Why? For our glory? Not for our glory. For whose glory? For his glory. Why? Because he wants his name to be known amongst the people of the world. We just have to be ready to receive it. And I go back and I think, and I mean, that's a great story, but let me say this right here. You look at that and you go, man, that's just awesome. But listen, in the middle of that, don't ever, ever take a break because Satan is always on the heels ready to attack. Because look at what happens here in verse 10. But when Sambalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite officials heard of the arrival, they were displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. So up until this time, man, listen, it was Nehemiah praying, it was Nehemiah listening, it was Nehemiah saying, Lord, listen, uh, King, this is what I need. It was Nehemiah. Everything was about Nehemiah. It was all about the blessing, and we don't hear anything about any disapproval. But all of a sudden, in the middle of all the blessing, and in, and in, and, and in, in the midst of all the approval, all of a sudden, here comes the opposition. The opposition. Opposition has a way of showing up. Because Satan does not like God's business to be carried out. Not at all. And in during those times of difficulty, we all have to choose what we're going to do. We all have to choose what direction we're going to go. We all have to choose during that time of testing, during that point of trial, whether or not we're going to give up, whether or not we're going to give in, whether or not we're going to listen to those voices, or if we're going to say, God, I'm going to stay the line. And if I don't stay true, because I promise you those voices will come and say, God was never in it. He was never a part of it. God let you down. I told you so. Opposition will always come. There will always be opportunities for us to be discouraged. And Satan never attacks us at the place that we're the strongest, but he always looks for the weakest the weakest link. He always looks for the gap in the fence, people. Always looks for the gap in the fence. See, there, there's some of you that used to be really active in ministry, maybe, but you became discouraged because there was something that happened in your life. You used to be a really strong believer, but there was something that happened in your life. There was a failure. There was, a, there was something that took place and all of a sudden, the opposition came, and you begin to doubt. And you quit. You took yourself out of the game. Yeah, you're still coming to church, but you took yourself out of the game because you said, there's no way that God could ever use me. There's no way because I'm not worthy enough I'm not gifted enough. And let me tell you what, Satan will throw all kind of lies your direction because he wants to destroy you. Because that's what he is. He's a destroyer. John chapter 8, going off my notes just for a second. I'll read this to you. John chapter 8, verse 44. This is what the scripture has to say. It says this in reference to Satan himself. It says that 
You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding on to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he is a father, the father of lies. Satan is a liar. And he wants to make you think that you're a pauper. There's an old song that says, when you're a child of the king. Don't believe him. The scripture goes on to say in Nehemiah chapter 11, so I arrived in Jerusalem in three days later. Now, so you see where Nehemiah had left, he arrives in Jerusalem. So that's a pretty good distance from where he was in Susa all the way down to Jerusalem. That's some 800 miles that there was traveling. Listen, he didn't have jet blue, and he didn't have Greyhound, and he didn't have... That was a long, long time on the back of a donkey, a camel, or by foot. That's an awful long time to think. That's an awful long time to just contemplate and to consider. Long time. And the scripture says, so I arrived in Jerusalem and three days later, so I don't know what happened during that time, but I believe that what the scripture was saying is, man, listen, this joker was exhausted and he rested. And he rested because he knew what was lying ahead of him. And in ministry and in life in general, we talked about this several, several weeks ago, you better find time to rest. Because if you don't find time to rest, that can very easily become a weak spot in your, in your life and in your ministry. It can become a place of vulnerability. It can be a place that Satan uses to attack you. And we said it, and I'll say it again. Why do you think that God the Father rested? Did he rest because he was tired? No, he didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because it was an example that he set for us. So there was a three-day period of rest. And then it says in verse 12, I slipped out one night. So time came for him to slip out and examine the walls and see just how bad things were. And in verse 12, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not, of course, told anybody about the plans that God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We had no pack animals with us except the donkey that I was riding. And after dark, I went out through the valley gate past the jackal's well and over to the dung gate, inspected the broken walls and the burned gates, and then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, still dark I went up to the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again into the valley gate. So from what I'm reading here, it seems like to me he went out on the southern end, and basically he went up and he went out through and went up back, and then turned back around and went back, back into where he had come out to start off with. And it says in verse 16, the city officials did not know that I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. So here's Nehemiah getting up in the middle of the night and he goes out to inspect the walls to just see how bad it was. And he takes a couple of people with him. I mean, here's God had put this on his heart to rebuild the walls, but really didn't know what he was going to find when he got out there. 
didn't know what to expect. And all of a sudden, as he began to inspect, he began to see how difficult the rebuilding was going to be, just how bad it was. Not only what it was going to take, but who would be needed. And it seemed like the further he went, the more difficult the rebuilding was going to be. I mean, it got so bad that even the donkey couldn't make it through the rubble. Have you ever heard somebody say, I thought it was bad, but I didn't know it was that bad. You know, I heard somebody this past week say this. It's a mess. He said, it's a mess, and there's no hope. I heard those words. From a family, it's a mess. It's a mess, and there's no hope. I heard from a pastor two weeks ago, said, it's a mess. I don't know how we can recover. I just don't know how we can recover. Let me say this. In this world, we will have troubles. And in this world, there are going to be most moments when we want to quit and we want to give up. And in this moment, in this world, we will have those times when we get discouraged. In those times, we want to walk away. But just because they look hopeless doesn't mean that they are. I looked at the family the other night at 1 o'clock in the morning, and I said, I hear what you're saying, but with my God, all things are possible. I understand what you're saying, Pastor, but with my God, all things are possible. I've been at the lowest of lows, and I've seen and I've experienced that. And I'm telling you what, you need somebody walking alongside you when you're at that place because every one of us can experience that lowness. Every one of us can experience that time when we need a brother walking alongside us saying, hey, brother, I know that you're at that place, but I'm helping you along. It's really difficult. We need brothers and sisters not telling us, man, it can't be done. We need brothers and sisters walking alongside of us saying, listen, my God can accomplish all things. We don't need people pushing us down. And here's Nehemiah having prayed, he's traveled, he's rested, and now he's standing face to face with the reality of the ruins. But in, with everything going on, he wasn't going to allow the obvious to overwhelm and to, to discourage him. And look at what he says in verse 17. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Man, listen, let's cut to the chase. Let's get down to it. Let me tell you where it's at. You see exactly the situation that we're in. Man, it's not a secret. It's a mess. You know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. And its gates have been destroyed by fire. But let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and let's end this disgrace. Jerusalem is a mess. But we can rebuild these walls. But let's not just rebuild it to say we rebuilt it. Let's rebuild it for our children. And let's rebuild the walls for our children's children. And it looks, more, it looks like that we're binding off more than we can chew. But God says, we've got this. We can do this because it's not about us. It's about God. It's not about anything that about, about us, but it's about God and, and His people. 
And Lord, I don't have to understand it. The only thing I have to understand is that I trust you. And God, I have confidence in you. You've sent me on this journey and you've brought me to this place. And I have confidence in you. And I know that it can be done. Then I told them, it says in verse 18, about how the gracious hand of God had been upon me and about, how the conver- about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. I mean, that's a pep rally. If you ever heard of a pep rally, man, look at where things are at. Man, it's in ruins. It's a mess. But I have confidence in God. And they all replied, let's rebuild the wall. And you know what wasn't problem? You know, guys, let's, I mean, if y'all want to, let's rebuild the wall. I mean, are you, you want to, Steve, you want to be in? You want to, you, you want to be a part? You know, Jimmy, you want to be a part? Martin, what about, man, you, are you in? Are you out? What do you want to be? I can imagine the whole group of, whoever was there, I mean, I can, man, let's rebuild it. Let's do it. I want to tell you what God has already done. He hadn't told them up until that point all the things that God had done up until this point. But man, he began to lay it out. Let me tell you about my conversation. Let me tell you about my prayer. And then let me tell you about my conversation with the king. And let me tell you what the king did. And let me tell you that what the king did in addition to those things that I asked for. And he began to lay it out. Let me tell you about it all. And they said, man, let's get her done. Let's rebuild. In spite of the obvious, our God is powerful. He is with us. And Nehemiah's passion was contagious. You couldn't stop it. It was contagious. And all of a sudden, that encouragement, that that began to challenge. And that began to encourage those that were there that had been discouraged. That began to challenge and encourage those that were on on the point of just saying, we quit. We're done. We're finished. Here's a great thought. When's the last time somebody's looked at your life and because of your relationship with Jesus, they became encouraged, they became challenged, and their faith became deepened? When's the last time that happened in your life where somebody looked at you, Sharice, and they go, I want you to look at Sharice Kirkland. Man, what a woman of God. I I see Jesus all in her, and because of her, I'm challenged in my faith. She is influencing me. I I can see Jesus in, in her. Man, I was just ready to give up, and I was ready to quit. But how can I complain when I see what God has done? And Nehemiah shared his vision. And what seemed impossible wasn't impossible anymore because God was with them. For those that say there is no hope, you don't know my God. Because if I were to ask some people to stand up in here and give a testimony, there would be some people that would stand up here very quickly and give a testimony of God's grace, of his greatness, and of his faithfulness of God, the things that you have done, and it can happen just like that. And see, maybe you're facing opposition right now, and maybe it's not the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, but maybe it's something else that's going on. And maybe your faith is being tested. 
And I go back to the first question that I ask. How do you respond to the Lord? Do you know him well enough to trust him? That when you hear his voice, that you're willing to trust him. Verse 19 says, But when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They asked. I replied, The God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no share, legal right, historic claim in Jerusalem. <clears throat> See these three guys? Let me give you a little bit of history really quickly. When the Israelites came into the promised land, there were some people that were displaced. Guess who was displaced? Their people. This bitterness, this anger had been welling up for all these years. They didn't want the people of Israel to come back together. Not at all. So in the opposition of Nehemiah, in the opposition... Nehemiah didn't get discouraged. He didn't get his feelings hurt. He didn't try to defend his position. The only thing Nehemiah did was talk about how great his God was. That's what he did. Talked about how great his God was and that he is, that of his, of his confidence. See, that's where his confidence came from, from his relationship from, with the Lord. And in closing today, I, I don't know what wall you may be facing, but the question is how will you respond? If we go back to chapter 1, Nehemiah's journey began with prayer. See, I know we all have what we think should happen, but when we're in that place that we're struggling, it would seem to me, and we're facing the difficulties of life, that the first step would always be going back to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and talking to him first and saying, Lord, what is it you're speaking to me? What is it you're wanting me to do? Because if you trust him, it's a whole lot easier to obey him.